Welcome to Stutter Stories, where guests from around the world each share the ins, outs, ups, and downs of life and conversation as a person who stutters. Hosted by Tricia Hedinger and Ja Ben. People who stutter covertly are those who seemingly speak fluent at times, but put loads of pressure on themselves to conceal their occasional disfluencies. They may be able to pass off as a fluent speaker most of the time. It's not uncommon, however, for a covert stutterer to carry around their secret all alone. Maybe only a few friends or family are aware of their secret. Most of you out there are familiar with the iceberg analogy as it relates to stuttering, with the small tip of the iceberg representing the stuttering behaviors that uh, are actually can be seen like blocks and repetitions, and the huge underwater section representing the unseen side of stuttering, like the anxiety, avoidance, shame, and guilt that may accompany stuttering. So how does one transition and why does one transition from the secret life of a covert stutterer to becoming an overt person who stutters? Our next guest is Nathan Malapetti. Nathan graduated magna cum laude with honors from UCLA. He's a Fulbright scholar and is on his way to medical school. The bottom line is, Nathan is crazy smart. Not only is he super intelligent, but he is also an incredible advocate for people who stutter. He is the founder and CEO of Stuttering Scholarship Alliance. He is an RCC for the NSA, and he is the International Advocacy Chair on the World Stuttering Network Board of Directors. Nathan is only 22 years old, and just a few short years ago, he was a covert stutterer. Hey, Nathan, how are you? Hey, hey, Trisha, I'm good. How are you? Good. Doing well. Um, So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you've lived in the past, and uh, what you're doing with your days these, uh, what you're doing with your time these days. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, so um, I'm Nathan. I'm a person stutters. Uh, a little bit about me. Uh, I was born in the Midwest, uh, but I came out to California in around elementary school. And so I'm a California kid at heart. Um, I, I stay here for elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been um, quite a time in this nice weather area. <laughs> um, I've never seen winter. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, in terms of, um, a college, so I graduated, uh, this past June, mm-hmm. 2020 with majors in biology, political science, uh, and I'm going on to a career in public health and business. Uh, I'm going on to a medical school this August. Okay. And so right now, kind of in between some stuff I'm doing, um, being a person who stutters in college, I, I really became very interested in the stuttering community. I didn't really know about it when I was in high school or middle school. I found it when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and so among stuttering uh, awareness activities, like being an RCC for 
DSA with you, obviously, um, as well as um, uh, I'm honored to have the opportunity to, to be uh, a board member of the World Stuttering Network with you again. Um, <laughs> and then even uh, I had the opportunity where when I was in college, uh, I learned about this kind of problem in the field of speech therapy where you know, school-based speech therapists are amazing people, but they're often overburdened in terms mm -hmm. of the number of cases that they have and the diversity of cases that they have. Yeah. Uh, it can be very challenging. And so it can be hard to uh, know a lot about stuttering, especially when their education programs didn't really teach it. And mm -hmm. so I learned that there are these kind of private stuttering specialists who know stuttering, uh, but that it was very expensive, around $200 for an hour or um, or around that number also for an evaluation. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's really out of reach for a lot of families. I know my family can't really afford that. Um, so the organization I started called Stuttering Scholarship Alliance, um, the premise of it is that we built a bridge uh, between people from low income communities and um, therapists who, who know stuttering. And so we raised a bunch of money and we built a, a framework where uh, every $1,500 donated basically sponsors a child's therapy, about 15 sessions. Um, so it's, it's very grassroots, it's lean, and it's focused on allowing people who stutter from low income communities to really have, have access to care. Um, which, which, which has been tremendously rewarding for me. And yeah, I'd love to, 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 um, to talk about that later if we have time, but yeah, that's a, a little bit about me and, and what I'm doing. Yeah, that is an amazing program and definitely needed because you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. So many school speech pathologists um, just haven't had adequate training and um, they feel uncomfortable treating stuttering, but they're kind of in a bind because what's the alternative? Um, and there, and, and kids may not have the money to go to a specialist. So that's great. That's a great program. Um, Thank you. so, so how do you think, um, growing up in your area may mm -hmm. have impacted your relationship with stuttering? And so what were some perceptions about stuttering, um, that you can recall yeah. growing up? Yeah, I guess it's kind of funny because I grew up in, so the Bay area, California, Mm -hmm. around San Jose, California, Silicon Valley, tech, it's seen as an area that is very progressive mm -hmm. uh, in terms of ideology and um, uh, even just basic beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, but with something like stuttering, which, you know, in my mind is an invisible disability, particularly because I was a cohort stutterer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I had the exact same kind of... Um, experience as, as someone who grew up in other parts of America where you know, mm. I was bullied, I, I had difficulty with presentations. Mm -hmm. um, the worst thing about being kid who stutters for me, I, I dreaded the days because this would happen at least a couple times a week where a teacher would snake around the room and every kid would, would read a paragraph, right? Mm. And, and we all have that feeling where I would count the paragraphs <laughs> to see like which one I would have to read and then I'd practice. And then mm -hmm. the person in front of me would say two paragraphs instead of one. And then I'd be like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, those experiences are, you know, very typical of a person stutters. And mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty interesting because when I go to the, these stuttering conferences and I interact with people, it's, it seems like my geography didn't really impact that. Mm -hmm. I think where my geography impacted it was, um, 
uh, I was fortunate to be in an area where there was um, uh, a lot of speech therapists around mm -hmm. um, and our, our school had invested. So I went to a, 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 a punk school out here called Monte Vista High School mm -hmm. um, and, and they had invested in a few speech therapists which was more than I know some of my friends had uh, in other areas around the country. And mm -hmm. they were kind of amazing people who, who taught me confidence mm -hmm. um, and uh, had to, you know, belief in, in myself. Um, I think, you know, one last thing I'll mention is for me, the biggest thing with my stuttering has been the cultural element because I grew up in an immigrant family. So my parents mm -hmm. were immigrants from India from the 80s. So mm -hmm. they came here in the 80s um, and my dad stuttered and mm -hmm. he grew up stuttering in, in a village in India. And if you stutter, it, you're in these kind of collectivist cultures, it's seen as a reflection of your family. And so mm -hmm. it's something that you have to hide. Otherwise, your whole family is put to shame. And so mm -hmm. my parents always thought that my stuttering would go away. And if it didn't, I would, they would kind of, of forced me to hide it. And so mm -hmm. it was very hard for me to get out of that mindset and, and get into acceptance because it, it went uh, against how I, I grew up. You know? Yeah. And it seems like you've kind of gone kind of opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> now, right? It's like, yeah. I was totally trying to hide it. Now it's totally out there and I'm an advocate for other people, huh? That's the funny thing, yeah, because in middle school, high school, I would always like, I, I, I would never talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And now, as you said, you know, if you just look at my Facebook, you know, I'm a weird um, millennial. I'm not like big on, on social media, but mm -hmm. because of the things I'm involved with, I get tagged anyway. And so yeah. um, my whole feed is just stuttering, which is amazing. Obviously. And how old are you, Nathan? <laughs> so people always ask me this and, and they're surprised by, by the answer. I, I'm 22. I just turned 22 a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah, you've done so much for being 22. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Um, and I think one of the questions that I typically ask is about where you grew up, but I also think when you grew up makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. You know, you're younger, you're 22, so some of the therapy approaches have changed so that yeah. there are, you know, people are working on a more comprehensive approach and less on fluency shaping drilling as, as it used to, you know, as they used to. Um, you know, if I was interviewing somebody who was, say, 50 or 60 years old, they would probably have a very different experience with speech therapy. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. How would you say, and you, you touched on this a little bit already, but how would you say your friends and family typically responded to your stuttering? Yeah. So I think it was, you know, I talked about my family earlier, so I'll, I'll touch on that and then I'll, I'll move on to friends. Mm -hmm. With my family, uh, as I mentioned earlier, earlier on, it was all about hide your stuttering. Actually, the first thing they thought uh, when I started stuttering was I used to have like a gap in my front two feet. Mm -hmm. And so they thought I stuttered because I had a gap there. And so mm -hmm. once I got braces and, and closed it up, they believed I would stop. Mm -hmm. um, so after I kept stuttering, I think the idea was, okay, you know, just practice and you'll grow out of it. Because my dad, uh, to some extent, his stuttering improved as he got older. He's not necessarily mm -hmm. cured, but he believes that it went away. It's like similar to something with like President Biden, mm -hmm. um, where 
it's the whole overcoming narrative, right? Which right. Uh, I know I know people have mixed beliefs about. But um, so for me, um, with my family, you know, even even now, every day as I'm doing this advocacy work, I think my mom has come around a lot more, and she's mm-hmm. you know all about the acceptance. But I think my dad is still a little bit skeptical. He doesn't like to tell people about the work I'm doing. It's not like he'll be mad or anything. It's just like, if he doesn't have to bring it up, yeah. um, he won't, right? Cause I mean, it's, it's hard to drill out these beliefs that have been there for 50 years. Yeah, they've parents. been with him for so much longer than exactly. with you. And uh, it's yeah. very new to him. So exactly. it's understandable, I would think. But yeah. and hard on you though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, you know, it, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because my dad had a, a whole set of other challenges that I didn't have. He grew up in like a village in India and mm-hmm. he grew up like, poor. And so he's kind of the prototypical American dream story where he came mm-hmm. here and I grew up um, middle class, like not having to worry about, you know, where my next meal would come from. And so mm-hmm. it's just a different t- a type of, of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, and then in terms of my friends, you know, like m- most people who stutter, you uh, middle school is the worst. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think that's what the the overall consensus is. Just yes. something about middle school where we get old enough. I think that's the age where you start caring about yeah. what your peers think over what your parents think, and then yeah. you're not like yet old enough to have a, have a filter. And mm-hmm. so it's just a lot of bullying um that's when that was probably my lowest point around eighth grade or Mm -hmm. or ninth grade when i got to high school um my friends would know about my stuttering and they would joke about it but it it wasn't as explicit Mm -hmm. Uh, but then conversely in high school i also had a few friends who you know would tell me like we don't care that you stutter just like Mm -hmm. stick to it right and that meant a lot and you know i don't think it's a coincidence that it's it's those friends that I'm still close with today as, right. as opposed to everyone else. So I, I saw stuttering as like a filtering mechanism where I could see who, who the real friends were and who weren't. Yeah. I hear that quite a bit, that it, it <laughs> yeah. gives you this, this way of filtering out people. Um, yeah. Do you have any pet peeves about stuttering or are there responses from people that make you cringe or feel annoyed? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, and I've got this from a lot of my friends. I think I'm a little too nice and too accepting where I was never as, you know, like angry if people interrupted me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, you know, they filled it in for me. That's fine. You know, they, they don't have most of, of the time, they don't have like malintent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until honestly, I joined the Southern community. And I was like, oh, I should be telling them to, to <laughs> not interrupt me. My bad. <laughs> you can be mad about this. Oh, I yeah, never thought exactly. of it that way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because uh, I'm just not that type of person where mm-hmm. I would I would kind of be mad about that. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, now, obviously, if I'm stuttering, I'll tell people, hey, you know, let me finish. So it's become a pet peeve, but it didn't mm-hmm. originate that way. Um, I guess my kind of biggest pet peeve, though, is probably just how whenever I stutter, even now, I was interviewing for med schools and they know about my stuttering because it's in my application. It's nothing I can hide in the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But I get the feeling that whenever I stutter, it still like comes off as they think I'm nervous or not confident. And unfortunately mm-hmm. in interviews, that can make or break you. 
-hmm. And then it's that, that kind of still works me because, you know, I'm not nervous, you know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. totally fine. It's just something that happens. Uh, on some days it's, it's fine. Other days mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Like today it's, it's totally fine, but you know, mm -hmm. I do have those days where it's more severe. So mm -hmm. that's probably a, a big pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is the more difficult question. Uh, can you tell me about a time that was particularly challenging or hurtful or just defeating relating back to stuttering? Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, we've, all, we've all had those kind of bad presentations and it kind of goes right that's what I, I think about right away. And so the one that kind of comes to mind was actually later on. So it was summer after my junior year of high school. So it was five years ago, mm -hmm. five and a half years ago. Um, and I, I was doing this like summer camp for kids who were interested in research. And so I, uh, we, we were working in at um, UC Davis's like biology lab. So I had the opportunity. And then at the end of 10 weeks, we had to give an oral presentation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a little bit of context, as I mentioned earlier, at, at this point in my life, I was feeling a little bit better about my stuttering mm -hmm. uh, than two years prior. So I was starting to think about college and, um, and my future. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't as you know, big a burden as it had been on my life before. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I went to give the presentation, I practiced a lot, you know, I go to say my name and, you know, I start with the, the N and the N's always hard for me. Anything where I have to put my tongue behind my front teeth mm -hmm. has always been hard for me. Mm -hmm. and, and I just can't say my name. And then, I, you know, I breathe, I stop and then I try again. Nope. You know, I breathe, I do it again. No, like, and then for what, I felt like five minutes, but it was probably only a minute or two. Um, uh, I just had to, to kind of push through to say my name. And this was a time in my life where I was very covert about my stuttering. So mm -hmm. if they knew about it, it was very minimal. And this is in front of my professors, my peers, and it was an, uh, an audience room. My mom was there, an audience room of like 100, 200 people. Mm. And it, it was one of those rooms that's kind of tilted. So oh, yeah. the speaker's mm -hmm. on the ground and then they look up. It's like a lecture room. Mm -hmm. You can right? see them all. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so the, you know, obviously that was, was very embarrassing, but I got through it. But the, the, the thing that was the most embarrassing was that the rest of the presentation, I was totally slowing. Like mm -hmm. very few blocks. And so if I, I had stuttered through the rest of the presentation, at least I could have said, you know, hey, I'm stuttering, just bear with me. Mm -hmm. I only stuttered on my name. And so I got so many questions from teachers, peers, did you forget your name? And mm -hmm. that was the most embarrassing thing ever. It's yeah. like, why would I I forget my name? Like, why would you ask that, right? But it's, it's, you know, an ironic thing. And then I joined the NSA about two years later mm -hmm. in college. And then I learned, oh, that's a common thing. It's mm -hmm. very hard to say your name, mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't know why or what the science is behind that. But um, I thought that was interesting. So, yeah, that was an, an embarrassing moment um, for me mm -hmm. because of the context and mm -hmm. the fact that the rest of the presentation was great. And it was that one part that, that mm -hmm. felt like forever. Yeah. 
And if you, and I don't ask this question out of dwelling on regret or anything, but if you could go back and do it differently, or you could advise somebody who maybe was, had this, a similar experience, is there anything you feel like you would have been able to do differently or would suggest somebody else do differently if that happened? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer the, the, the second one, like suggesting to someone else. Um, Mm -hmm. and the reason why I'll answer it like that is because I personally do not kind of believe in, Oh, I should have done that right. because you, those mistakes have made me kind of who I am. I think right. a lot of, of that pain really sparked my passion in mm-hmm. the stuttering community. Um, so yeah, I just want to make that point. So if, if I were to advise like someone who was a high schooler or, or, or something, I, I would say, um, don't be so hard on, yourself uh i think i i would say that you know you're going to feel alone but there's a a lot of people out there who are going through a similar thing and there are a lot of people out there who are going through i would say potentially more difficult challenges Mm -hmm. Uh, and so kind of like count your blessings and 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 you'll find a way through it and Mm -hmm. it'll be tough but i think the lessons I learned from struggling with stuttering helped me so much in college in terms of adversity, in terms of having a bigger perspective, mm-hmm. in terms of, of not caring about what other people thought, because I went through 15 years of, of people making fun of me, right? Mm-hmm. And those lessons are invaluable and they kind of set people who stutter on a trajectory to do amazing things. And so I would tell them to stay the course you know, try to build your confidence to keep going. And then you'll look back in 10 years and, and be proud of, of, of that, that difficulty because it really hardens you and makes you into uh, a person that can really contribute to society in a meaningful way. Yeah. Resilience. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's very underrated. I, mm-hmm. I think that's, kind of skill of going through something so early on. Mm-hmm. I, I think I didn't r- realize until later that, you know, even though it was hard and even though I hated it in the moment, that if you keep working at it every day, developing mm-hmm. the confidence and accepting it, mm-hmm. then, you know, long-term you, you'll reach a place that you, you know, might not have believed that you would have, have reached before. Yeah. It's hard to feel it in the moment, huh? Yeah. Um, Can you tell me um, about a time that changed your perspective about stuttering or changed yourself for the better? Yeah. Uh, I think it was really my first NSA conference, I would say. So in 2017 in Dallas, I had just finished my freshman year in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I joined the stuttering community and I met, you know, hundreds, I think it was like a thousand people who stutter. And that was the first time I heard about acceptance. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's weird because my stuttering had naturally gotten better because I had had a natural course of acceptance. I wasn't trying Mm -hmm. to accept it, but over time I just got sick of of letting it dominate my life. And so... So the natural step became acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then hearing about 
how much acceptance help people stutter, how much self-help groups help people stutter, how much, how much like knowing other people who are going through a similar challenge. Um, those conversations and, and learning from speech therapists about acceptance-based therapy, mm-hmm. that totally changed my perspective on stuttering. And it's honestly a big reason why I got more involved in the community because I think still early on in college, it was something that I had gone through, mm-hmm. but I don't think I was as motivated to do something about it until I learned that there's mm-hmm. this whole mentality that if, if I can talk to a child, for example, and if I'm able to change just a small um, part of how they view stuttering, you'll totally mm-hmm. alter their life um, yeah. uh, trajectory. And that was, uh, and that experience is what changed my, my perspective about stuttering. Yeah, and you very went very quickly from being involved in the NSA or going to a conference to mm-hmm. taking on a leadership role. Um, you know, yeah. we joke about it like nobody knew that you were like 18 when you became a, a RCC for the NSA. Yeah. And uh, when we were, so Nathan and I were partners, um, partner RCCs for a while. Um, you know, RCC being a regional chapter coordinator for the National Stuttering Association and kind of overseeing um, the East Coast chapters for a while. Um, And we were all like, wait, how old is he? (laughs) (laughs) And so, I mean, you you went from being covert to getting involved in the NSA to like being a leader in the NSA to having a scholarship fund all in a really few short years while on your way to medical school. So like they, you know, this obviously is a big priority for you. I mean, that's a lot of motivation. Do you want to, can you mention a little bit about kind of your motivation or, or how, how you did all this so quickly? Yeah, I think, and this might be, might be cliche, but you know, I was in college and I was going to classes looking at, you know, pre-med clubs, looking at this or that, and they're all amazing activities, but how I look at it is if I have, 16 hours a day, so, mm-hmm. so I sleep eight hours. If I have 16 hours a day and each activity required up to, let's say 12 hours, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to spend those other four hours on those activities. Mm-hmm. But when I was doing things in the studying community, because I'm passionate about it, because every, every, every minute, every second, I work on this stuff, it's like I'm a kid all over again and I, I remember the, the hard times, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Because of that, I'm willing to spend those extra four hours. And, and so while it may like seem like, you know, if you look at it on a resume that, as you said, you know, I've done a lot in a, a few mm-hmm. short years, the way I looked at it is, I just picked the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, for me that allowed me to um, get involved and really to take that exponential trajectory. And so I always tell people who ask me, like, because people always ask me, like, like, why do you do so much? Like, why this? Mm -hmm. Why that? I mean, it's really passion, right? If you're interested Mm -hmm. in it, then you will spend that extra hour to do it, especially at a time where, you know, I have very little external obligations. I'm a college Mm -hmm. student. (laughs) My priority Mm -hmm. is to study, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they want us to learn and to be doing things. I don't Mm -hmm. have kids yet. I'm not married. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost like I would feel bad 
if I wasn't doing as much as I could to grow um, before, you know, I get a lot more responsibilities in my life. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would say it's really just the passion that really you know, inspired me to, as you said, take that quick trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was lucky that, you know, I, I do have an older face. So <laughs> I think I, I tricked Tom into uh -huh. thinking that I, I was, I, I was older. Um, I think, I think but, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably some luck, right? That's not something I, I can control, but, um, but yeah, I would say it's really that passion that inspired yeah. me to just go right into it. Yeah, that passion and dedication and, and um, time organization. I mean, it's all, it's just, it's mm -hmm. just really cool, you know, that you would have prioritized the way that, that you have, you know, you could be, I, I wonder what you do on a lazy day is if you have any of those, <laughs> but we can, we can push that off for another time. <laughs> um, can you tell me a moment that felt like um, a success for you um, or a particular speaking accomplishment? that was, mm. that stands out? No. Speaking accomplishment, that's Or any success moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the most successful moments was probably, so it was very early on in starting the scholarship organization, the Stuttering Scholarship uh, Alliance. It was beginning of my sophomore year, so uh, fall 2017. So I had come back from the NSA conference. I had learned about this problem in the field of speech therapy. And I spent about four or five months kind of planning. Mm -hmm. How do I do this? Is this something I can do? And I really kind of doubted myself because I was like, I was taking a bunch of pre-med classes, which aren't easy themselves. Mm -hmm. I was um, kind of involved in a bunch of different stuff. I, I'm wondering if was I spreading myself too thin and mm -hmm. can, at that time I was what, 18, 19, can a 19-year-old do something to take a stab at this problem in the field? It might be too big for me. Mm -hmm. And then, so I kind of in the spring so in like february and march of 2018 i applied to this um scholarship grant it, it was a grant based in california and you know it was my last push i was like okay if this if it doesn't work out maybe i'll, I'll focus on um more uh, pre-med related activities mm -hmm. and so i applied to the grant i told them about my project i told them about why i was passionate about it mm -hmm that I was a person who stutters and, you know, I wanted to tackle this problem that I mentioned earlier. And then I got the grant and it was the reason why it was very satisfying for me because it was a very competitive grant and it proved that other people believed that I could do something. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, wow, I think, you know, I can really do this. And then I spoke with my advisor. So how the grant is structured is each of us, there were about 10 of us um, who got assigned advisors who were on the board of that foundation called mm -hmm. the Strauss Foundation. And my advisor was um, a person who stutters. And so she was mm -hmm. like, when I read your application, it totally was, it just, it was just mind blowing to me. And I thought it was amazing what you were doing. And, you know, I wanna help you to, mm -hmm. um, to make an impact. And so to have like a stranger, like someone who I never knew believe in me like that, and this organization would give 
you know, 15K to an 18, 19 year old who was doing this part time. I mean, that was a lot of responsibility. And that was, um, I think, a success because I finally started to believe in myself. And then mm. three years later, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. And that is quite a story, you know, and just being, <laughs> just, yeah, having somebody else believe in you so much. Is, yeah. Do you have a particular mantra or inspirational fa- phrase that kind of guides you or, or helps, helps you for motivation? Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot. <laughs> I have too many. <laughs> uh, so you ask what I do in my free time. Honestly, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of these speakers who study life, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I've kind of uh, developed a lot over, over the years. but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, one of my heroes is, um, Kobe Bryant, the Mm -hmm. the basketball player. Um, Mm -hmm. obviously he died last year in Mm -hmm. a tragic crash about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has all, all these videos, uh, about, you know, him speaking about why he pursued basketball. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not sure if you know, but after he finished his basketball career, he won an Oscar and he was on his way to like, he was writing like award-winning novels. And I was like, wow, how is this guy so amazing at basketball and amazing at something else. And then you study his like psychology and, you know, and this goes back to what I said earlier. He said, it's very simple for him. He just, he follows his passion first and he works hard. But he's very deliberate in everything he does, right? Mm-hmm. So why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Will this will this open a door for me? Don't just do something for the sake of do something. Really think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those three like lessons he really talks about um, really inspired me because everything I do, I've really thought about. Everything yeah. I do, I'm very passionate about. I never take on any activity unless I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was weird to some when I was applying to med- medical schools because I wasn't a traditional medical school applicant who was had a bunch of pre-medical activities. I, I was applying with a bunch of stuttering community service activities and they asked me this and I was like, listen, I'm passionate about it and that's what I did, right? Mm-hmm. And then if I'm able to have those two things, mm-hmm. um, it's very easy to do the last one, which mm-hmm. is work hard. Right, yeah. because it, it's not work anymore. It's yeah. it becomes enjoyable. It becomes fun, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I'm sorry I didn't give you like a quote, but those no, three kind of ideals is is what I follow. That's every great. Day. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. Um, if you were with a group of people who stutter, what yeah. question would you ask them to start a real conversation? <laughs> to start a real conversation. Mm-hmm. Um. I think this is a question that I learned about at the NSA conferences that I really think gets at the psychology of a person's stutters and where exactly they are in mm-hmm. their battle with their stuttering or their journey with their stuttering. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the magic pill question, right? Yeah. If you were, if you would take a magic pill to cure your stuttering either now or two years ago, would you? 
Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason why I would ask that is because we talked about when I was a freshman in college, how I was cohort early on and then I joined the NSA and I became really interested in these stuttering service activities. If you had asked me to take that magic pill, a pill the first day of college, I would, I would have said, hell yes, give it to mm-hmm. me. If you had asked me in my sophomore year when I was doing all of these different activities, I would have said no, because stuttering provided me the opportunity to make a lot of lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who have been through similar experiences. If I didn't stutter, I wouldn't have the same connections where, I mean, as you know, we know a lot of people who stutter in not only almost every state in the U.S., but almost every country in mm-hmm. the world. And that is so invaluable and it's something I don't take for granted. And mm-hmm. if I didn't stutter, uh, I might not have that. Uh, and, and so I feel like that question is very apt to understanding where they are in their journey with their stuttering. Yeah. And then we can follow up with from there. Yeah. 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 That does lead to a, a meaningful conversation, I think. And it does yeah. really let you know where somebody is. But yeah. So many connections that I never thought that I would make all around the world. Um, yeah. No, just like you. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, I, I think like one thing that I would say is, you know, I love to speak to kind of kids who stutter and mm-hmm. uh, younger people who stutter. And if they're listening, um, one thing I always say to them is, like stuttering doesn't define you unless you want it to define you. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when you're younger, we have this perspective that because I stutter, I'm just hopeless. I'm, I'm not going to do anything with my life. And then it's kind of defining me in a sense that really put me down and there were a lot of days where, for example, I didn't believe that I could become a physician uh, Mm -hmm. and pursue my dream. Um, And and now that I've gotten older, I I realized that that decision I made to be sad about my stutter, to be covert, to kind of not want to talk about it, that was my decision. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, I wanted it to define me and then it became the very thing I was dreading. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell kids is, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, I, I gain confidence, but it's going to be hard and, and it's an everyday process. And if you work at it, if you find what you're passionate about, uh, it doesn't have to be stuttering, but something else, it might help your stuttering as well. Mm-hmm. And so over time, I think those kids will realize that um, stuttering might not be as bad as we thought it was in in middle school and Mm -hmm. high school. And uh, it was actually a blessing. That's what I hope. Well, thank you very much, Nathan. It was great to have you on today. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. I mean, I I always appreciate these conversations and um, thanks for the, the opportunity. If you would like to be a guest on Stutter Stories, email us at worldstutteringnetwork at gmail.com. First timers are welcome.